Welcome back to the podcast, everyone, to episode 94 with Lee Boyce. He's back on to talk about an article he wrote about not being a bad client. Trainers get shit on all the time. Yes, there's plenty of bad ones, but sometimes the responsibility is on the client. We talk about how people can not just jeopardize their long-term lifting by making certain mistakes, about why chasing every fitness goal at the same time doesn't work, uh, about telling trainers to wear clothes on their social media. That one gets into an interesting discussion and some mistakes he made in his early days and some of the advice he has for people now starting out. Stay tuned. It's amazing. Shut up and sit down. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. Uh, we've got Lee Boyce back today. He's uh, returning as part of our Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium speaker series. We're going to get everybody on here, all 10. And uh, as we introduced him last time, hopefully you heard it, Lee is a Toronto-based strength coach, presenter. We didn't mention this last time, an adjunct professor. Maybe we'll get you to explain that. And, well, he's been published in literally everything in the industry. I'm not even going to try with that list. So, um, in between our two episodes, Lee and I actually got to meet and hang out uh, back in May. Uh, at the Kansas City Fitness Summit, so we chilled out pretty much a, a lot of the conference, and uh, so it's great to have you back on air, so thanks, brother. Thanks a lot. Glad to be here again. What's an adjunct professor? I, I'm totally lost here. <laughs> so it just means that you, uh, I work for a college as well. I work with, uh, I have a couple of classes that I uh, teach students in uh, college in Toronto here, and it just means that you're not a full-timer. You yeah. just, you do this as well. You just do it as well. That's sweet. Does does that help? Like, did that help with your presenting? Because I actually watched some of the video from you presenting in Kansas, and like, you're fucking awesome. Like, does being in front of a class like that more often does that help with a lot of that? Um, it definitely does. Like, uh, to be honest, I was presenting before I started uh, doing a teaching, and so uh, I started teaching in 2018. But because of the fact that now every single week I'm in front of at least 20 kids or yeah. whatever, like you know, talking and and. Uh, giving a mini presentation of sorts, it's very, very much, um, the, it, one feeds into the other, one goes hand in hand with the other, and I can't say that teaching isn't helping me be much more comfortable as a presenter, and I can't say that presenting hasn't made me much more comfortable as a teacher, so it, it just serves, they both serve each other. Well, it's kind of interesting, because last time we talked, um, we talked about how you don't use social media, and it's funny, because now I see like a lot of videos, even on T-Nation, like you're coaching a lot. Like on on video for other people, so it's just kind of funny to see where it's gone in almost a year. Yeah, guys, yeah. this is a good yeah. argument just to follow Lee on, especially on Instagram now, because yeah, you more recently got an Instagram account, and you're pretty prolific with putting up a lot of exercise instructional video, and like a handful of other people that I really like, Ben Bruno is a good example. Um, Trying to think of a couple more, but you put out not necessarily just the true basics again and again but creative ideas but that are really practical and usable versus creative for the sake of, oh, let's see what fucking weird shit I can come up with next and make people do. Right. Yeah, and no, I try to uh, try to strike that balance where it's like, okay, we can bear a, we can uh, diversify our training, we can make things a little bit more interesting, but there's still some kind of application towards it, regardless of what what goal I want to be pinpointing at the given time. So, you know, I try I try really hard with that sort of thing, and I've been very careful about the things that I try to post. And yes, I got Instagram about nine months ago now, and it's mm -hmm. going pretty well. Um, and yeah, I, I've just been trying to make it consistent, you know. Well, let's get into some of your article stuff that you've been writing. So I had to dig around and find some fun stuff. So you recently wrote an article about not being a bad client. And 
considering there are so many articles about not being a bad trainer, about what to look for in a bad trainer, this is kind of refreshing. So I personally tend to have this extreme ownership mindset with my clients and business where we know a lot of the problems originate with the client. We do. But, and, and their attitude. But I still try to take that kind of as like, okay, what could I do personally to make this outcome better and pretend like the client didn't do something really fucking stupid. But what are some of the issues that clients need to take ownership over? And perhaps you've even got a couple of horror stories. Uh, well, first of all, like just the accountability of it that they need to uh, take into consideration and just like be in acknowledgement of they have, they're the number one vehicle towards getting results. It's not us as trainers. We can navigate their path but they have to put in the work, they have to hold themselves accountable, and they have to make the effort to, you know, do things like be there on time, um, be coachable, be agreeable, like those kinds of things. If you're not willing to actually put your uh, hand over the torch, for lack of a better term, where, you know, the the, the, the coach is now dictating the session, um, you're going to be in uh, a little bit of trouble. It's going to be hot water for you in terms of trying to reach your goals, because there's always going to be a conflict of interest. Um, moreover, just uh, being responsible with, uh, respecting each other's time, respecting each other as people. That's another thing too. Um, but, you know, showing up, being consistent, uh, putting in the work that you need to put in and respecting that even though uh, you are hiring the person, that person does work for you. It's still, it's a, it's a very, very unique transaction that goes on between trainer and client. And um, as a trainer, you have to, uh, the, the, it's, it makes the trainer feel a lot better. I'll say it that way makes the trainer feel a lot better when uh, their time and their energy and their efforts are being respected. And um, they realize that um, there is still a little bit of uh, acknowledgement of power that the trainer should have over the, over the client. So, you know, it's an interesting thing. You're paying, you're paying someone to train you, but at the same time, you're also paying them to take the ownership, take the role of the leader. Yeah. You're paying them to like make you do the stuff you don't want to do and you can't get mad at it. Like it's weird. that's essentially what you're doing. Like no one wants to go smash themselves in the gym, but you just paid this person to do it. And then people get upset about it or they want to do it their way. It's like, right. Why'd you, I've got, I've had definitely a few stories with regards to that, where it's like, it's almost like you hired me on so that I could oversee you do exactly what you plan to do in the first place. And (laughs) it doesn't make any sense. And those clients don't last too long whenever it does come around. So um, it is like a, you know, it makes a trainer, uh, become more senior very quickly in terms of uh, understanding the the weeding out process for what makes a, a better quality client versus a worse quality client and so on. So, you know, I, I'm sure that a lot of trainers can relate to that. Do you think like, because um, you're at the point now where you probably have like a, a list, but like for some of the newer trainers, how do they navigate that without like essentially losing or like firing clients? Because at some point they still need to make money. So like what's, do you have any like actionable advice for how to deal with a shitty client, I guess? Um, well, you know what, I think that, to be honest, learning the ropes in that regard has, because here's the thing, uh, before I even answer that question, here's the thing is that I do believe that it's, uh, for lack of a better term, character building to have a client or to have a trainer go through bad clients and have that experience where they, they see the bad side of the industry, whether it's working for a gym that does bad business or whether it's working one-on-one with a client who gives you a really hard time. Uh, I do think that um, it's part of the ropes. It's part of learning the uh, the ins and outs of the industry and the business. And it's something that's unavoidable at the end of the day. So I don't have set things to look for, set of uh, some sort of a hazing or weeding out process to uh, to do that. Um, once you put in your time and be become more credible from being a professional in such circumstances, 
then you're going to get a list of clients who are on a waiting list for you and so on. And then you can start making those weeding out processes and say, okay, this person's serious, this person's not, this person's not going to mesh with me, et cetera, et cetera. So I really think the answer is really just taking your time, doing it, doing the time, putting in the time uh, and, you know, experiencing those learning experiences to, to uh, move forward from in, in the future. And then you'll, you'll know what, what to expect and what not to expect. You'll see some signs beforehand and so on as well. Um, yeah, so I, I don't really have some justified answer, but I have uh, that. That's my insight on all that. That's kind of interesting because it's just like, don't be a bad client, but also don't be a trainer who's going to expect to have all the good clients because you can't do it unless you put your time in. And like that right. is a, like that's that's years at this point. I'll put it this way: um, it, it's easy to brag about clients who do everything right. And I early in my career sort of figured out that kind of one in twenty will listen to everything you say. Um, a lot of people who follow my social media will see, I work with a young man, his name is Eric, and he lost 100 pounds before he even came to me. And I'm always very careful about not taking credit for anything I didn't do with him. And then he lost another 85 and then built muscle back up. I've never seen a client who has just figured out shit on his own even before he got to me that I taught about a strength train. And a great transformation in well under a year. Uh, and I don't feel right to taking much credit for it. And I don't think... Most people are capable of doing what this guy is doing. And it was no challenge for me as a coach. So there's nothing to brag about. This guy just would, if I tell him something, he'd do it. Adherence was perfect. He never fucked up once on anything. His nutrition exercise in the many, many, many months I was working with him. So that doesn't really make you a better trader deal with people like that. Looks good in your media. It's right. the people that you actually have to learn to coach to get them to change their mindsets and try new shit that they're scared of and work through all kinds of their bullshit. That's the stuff that's going to make you a better coach. And that's the stuff that I feel much more comfortable feeling good about at the end of the day. Yeah, I agree with that as well. And, um, you know, it's sort of like having a client who came to you deadlifting 405 pounds and then in six months you got them up to 500 pounds. It's like, well, that's really impressive. But at the same time, being able to deadlift 405 from zero if you were to get someone to get from zero to four, now that's something that's pretty impressive because you coach them up from ground zero. Now, if they come to you with um, with with already a whole list of accomplishments in the first place, now there's only so much that a trainer can a learn themselves from, but b take credit for. And so, uh, what you said there pretty much nails it. I agree with that a hundred percent. Well, it's just I don't know when I see this, like in terms of like a client being bad. I don't think. Oh, we talk about bad trainers, but like for a client, how do they know? So like they're being vigilant. They're like, I'm not going to trust you. I want to do my own thing. But it's just because I don't know if they know good trainers when they see them. So they're almost have their guard up when they go to trainers. Like how do you kind of transition? I, I don't even know where I'm going with this. I don't think, oh, I know where you're, I think you're going. I don't think a lot of people who mistrust trainers end up in front of trainers, but okay. it does happen once in a while. It does. So in that case, guess what? Someone's had a bad experience. Just be yourself. If you are a good, passionate, caring trainer, it's going to shine through. You're going to be different than the other coach. I just don't think there's any special magic to just be a decent fucking person and a passionate coach. Then you'll be fine. I don't leave. Do you have any thoughts on that? I agree with that as well. Um, you know, as long as you have a passion for what you do and as long as you put in good work on the regular and 
you're not making any sort of changes to really accommodate somebody or, or sorry, I shouldn't say it that way, but no. you're not making any changes to your own personality and yeah. your own methodologies and so on just to uh, acquiesce to the needs of whatever's mm-hmm. trending or whatever, whoever individual it is and so on. If you're if you're staying true to yourself, then you're definitely going to attract uh, clientele in the first place. Um, I don't necessarily think that uh, the the situation should call for too much change in terms of what you believe in. And um, that's where a lot of people sort yeah. of mess up and get uh, get the wrong kind of clientele. They don't even get know. short-term clientele. I, I think that there's a big discussion there. Even like people don't understand what they believe in or like their values and they haven't narrowed it down to like what their philosophy is. And like, that's a big problem because then you're susceptible to whatever new thing comes out. And you see that well, a lot. Why, why do you think that I follow so few people on social <laughs> media? Like, I mean, seriously, like. I follow under a hundred people on my Instagram and that's to me is a gargantuan number in the first place. But I've seen people who are following like 4,000 and 10,000 people. And so your, your news feed or whatever must be just full of so many different philosophies and training methods, good and bad mm-hmm. and, and mm-hmm. things that can influence your psychology. And I'm not saying to shut those things out, but what I am saying is that, um, it can create a situation where you're, I don't know, a master of none or you're sort of a, uh, you get analysis paralysis because you're constantly uh, conflicting with your views and with everyone else's views and so on. And, you know, it can't lead to a great situation at the end of the day, if you ask me. So I don't know. I, I'm just of the thinking that the fewer people that you sort of like kind of let in, for lack of a better term, is going to probably do you some good at the end of the day. Like, you know, there, there are definitely... Um, numbers of people that you can definitely um, follow and, and pay attention to and, and take little tidbits of information from here and there. But when is there a line that can be drawn? Yeah. I sort of approach it like this. Uh, I actually do follow a broader array of people, but I don't necessarily follow a lot of people super closely, partly due to the podcast where I'm generally the one who's picking the guests and finding our guests and just knowing a lot of people in the industry, being aware of what a lot of people are doing kind of matters. But what I also do is for my clientele and certainly what we channel through the podcast, it's a great way for me to then filter down all that stuff. And then I can be a resource. If I've got a client or someone who's looking for something, I can go, okay, oh shit, you want blue trade? Well, fuck, I mean, like Brett Contreras, Jesus, that's obvious, but still like that's an example. Or if you want to do uh, any uh, heart rate variability stuff, okay, cool. Go and check out what Joel James is doing and so on and so forth, right? So at least knowing that then I can direct people to very specific. But I think that that comes, like you said it there yourself, is that you know how to essentially problem solve the industry in terms of what fits in your model and not, and like constantly maybe making it better, but also not getting stuck on stuff. Cause I think when we, when we do fall and this, we're in a rat now um, about trainers following lots of trainers, all the new stuff is you, you forget how to problem solve stuff. Because you're just copying other people. And then now you're a parrot, and so you can't actually work through it. Does that make sense? Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying there. I hear what you're saying there for sure. Yeah. Okay. Fuck. Let's stop ranting about shitty trainers and shitty clients. But a lot of your social media, and we kind of touched on this before, shows you doing exercise form and function in the context of safe, progressive training. What mistakes are people making in and out of the gym to jeopardize their ability to enjoy lifting long-term and, and how, how would you approach addressing this? Uh, so the number one thing that comes to mind, even before you finished there was adding weight, just adding <laughs> weight. People are very, very obsessed with the one form of progression, uh, which is really one of many. And that yeah. is uh, adding load or increasing the amount of load that you can lift. And it makes sense. Like it's a natural thing to think, okay, well I can do, 
this bench press for uh, 100 pounds 10 times. Okay, if I want to stay doing it 10 times, let me do 105 pounds next time and 110 pounds and so on and keep on making progress. And, you know, this progressive overload is a key towards getting stronger and getting more muscle and so on. So it's not like I'm really disputing it. But you see, the strength and conditioning world sometimes drops the ball in that we think that there should never be a ceiling on how strong someone should get or that there should never be any other goals that they should approach or chase. And so both of those things can uh, lead to a real problem because once you get to a point where you're moving hundreds of pounds in any given direction, um, do you really need to be pursuing this with both eyes set on that target forever? I don't believe you do. You know, if one of those people who was training for a decade and they've got all kinds of huge numbers in the weight room, if they stopped training altogether and doing nothing, I mean nothing, just sitting down for like a year, and then they came back, well, would they be soft? Of course they'd be soft. But would they be complete weak wastes of space? I don't believe they would be. You know, and that's giving a very extreme example of being as sedentary as you can be for a full year. No one's going to do that. So if you take uh, the same example of somebody who strength trains and they have all these 500 deadlifts and 600 squat, whatever it is, and then they, for that year, stop squatting and deadlifting heavy and stop pressing heavy and doing all that stuff and focus on other stuff, maybe kettlebell work or a lot of body weight training or a lot of uh, sandbag work or you name it, just other modalities, other uh, variations to training that might not include lifting your max all the time. A, they're going to become more athletic. But B, um, at the end of the day, they might be saving things like their nervous system. They might be salvaging their joints from a lot of overload that they'd be dealing with and uh, connective tissue and so on. But C, when they do return to testing their maxes out and all that stuff, what's it going to go down? 5%? Yeah. 10 they've still been working out all the time they've still been doing all of that stuff that's still going to hit the same muscles that's still going to train the same joints and so on the only difference is they're not pushing their prs every week so my whole point in saying all of this stuff is that you're not going to die the second that you stop lifting heavy for a minute you know as a matter of fact your body's probably going to thank you for it you're probably going to get a lot of athletic benefits, and that's what's going to stand the test of time because it's all gravy when you're 26 years old or 23 years old and you're lifting heavy all the time and you can recover just like that. But it's not playing the same game when, you know, I, if I'm feeling it at 32, I could only imagine what feeling it would be like at 48 or 60, you know. So um, recovery changes, stress levels change, your, your um, what's it called, your responsiveness to exercises change. Um, a lot of things, your recovery levels, they change. And so you have to sort of adapt to that and recognize where you are in your life and when it is a good day to push it and when it's not a good day to push it. And that really, really changes over the course of your life. I would agree completely. And I'm even at that point now where it's like, I've kind of, I haven't topped out, but like once you kind of get to intermediate advance, like stuff is so hard to progress. Like it takes a right. lot of work and a lot of progression over time and other types of progression that I don't think people even realize, like, well, they, they have to get to that point to even experience it because there's a lot of gains to be made when you don't know anything and you're new to it. That's exactly what I was about to say next is yeah. that, you know, the, the thing that I sort of have uh, really started to latch to with the idea is that um, the, the idea of somebody focusing on the things that they're not good at at all. So yeah. if you've deadlifted for 10 years and your deadlift is 550 and you've been deadlifting and deadlifting and you want to get up to 600, well, the, the 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 amount of return for your investment made to get that extra 50 pounds on your deadlift, okay, you can have it for your ego and you have it for your strength and you've got technique and maybe your strength is there. But is there 
really that much of a return in terms of your fitness. There's a different, it's a different conversation there. You know, we got to be doing things that actually challenge our fitness. And if mm-hmm. we've been deadlifting for all that time, chances are we're pretty damn efficient at it. Yeah. Pretty, chances are that we're really good at the skill already. And so we're not getting too much return for that investment mm-hmm. made compared to going and doing, I don't know, uh, rear support or a Chinese plank. Yeah. I put someone who's the strongest deadlifter going go, go into a rear support and they can barely hold themselves up. You know, so that's all posterior chain too. So how is that so hard with body weight when you could rip 400, 500, 600 pounds off the floor? To me, those kinds of things are the very, very telling things in terms of, okay, how in shape are we really? What can our yeah. bodies actually do for us? Well, you know, you take a body weight exercise, you're shaking like a leaf. Well, I don't know then. Hmm. Well, there's even to this point, like even recently, because... I was a powerlifter and I played football in college and like as soon as I was done college I stopped doing aerobic base work or like anything high intensity in terms of the aerobic system or anaerobic system. Anyways, long story short is now I'm having to bump up my aerobic and anaerobic system so I can do more volume so I can get stronger. But that would have been an ignored piece probably for a large part of the industry. It's just even missing simple stuff like your aerobic base to push the amount of work you can do. Like people right. don't even attack that as a basic fundamental part of strength and conditioning. It's well, not sexy. Again, you take a, you take away the conditioning side of strength and conditioning, and yeah. a lot of strength and conditioning coaches will say it's all about strength. Yeah. And so then all of a sudden they start maligning the idea of cardio of any form. They start they start excoriating the idea of doing runs or going for a jog or doing anything that might possibly kill your gains mm-hmm. and all those terms that they use. And it's like for a minute I was on that bandwagon too, but now mm-hmm. it's like, well, no. What about what about the fact that you have enough muscle and you've got to start working on your heart and lungs? You know, how about all of that stuff? And you know, there's got to be a little bit more balanced thinking towards it throughout the industry. And, um, you know, I hope to try to do my part in sharing that. Well, and, and you said it like really specifically is, and I would just call it, a lot of people try to niche down when there's no need for it, especially when dealing with general population clients, like who just want to get better at a lot of stuff. It doesn't mean isolating taking certain things out of the equation like it's not all strength based and i think that there is a big push towards i don't know if it's just because powerlifting's popular now but like heavy rep maxes and stuff and like that stuff's hard to progress over time and you like we're talking 12 24 like a year weeks in terms of seeing actual results <laughs> on some of the top ends of this stuff right yeah no um i'm very much into now um finding those the things that are unquantifiable yeah. and the intangible things to start working on because they'll never get easier for you, you know, <laughs> especially when you're a guy with a lot of muscle and you're, you're somebody who's heavy and strong and all that stuff and you start doing the body weight stuff or whatnot, the things that you can't really measure other than reps performed, well, then we have a, we have a, a new conversation topic that can last a very long time and it can whip you into shape. Let's move to one of the other posts that I pulled off of this. <laughs> no, that's, this discussion is great. So in a recent post, you mentioned how trying to chase every fitness goal at the same time doesn't work. I like using the euphemism, trying to chase two cats at the same time. You won't catch either of them. Uh, what chase cats? Well, I got one. He's bad enough. What major goals work concurrently uh, and what needs to be focused on and separated? Um, so... I think that especially if you're going for straight up strength as far as like compound barbell lifts go and you want to increase the absolute load that you can move, then that should be its own sort of focus. That's what I think. Um, so if you want to compartmentalize anything or you want to segment anything or whatever, then I think that the strength thing should be a little, a little bit of a class on its own. 
Um, now, at the same time, I think that when it comes to things like um, hypertrophy or just muscle development for the for the visual larger muscle, um, you can tackle a couple other things at the same time. And uh, I don't want to really get onto nutrition and diet in here, but uh, I will say that in terms of like muscle development and fat loss, for example, um, so that you know, because of the fact that um, a lot of the workouts that involve hypertrophy, many times they might include lower rest intervals and higher heart rate type of stuff and uh, higher rep ranges and more lactate production and so on. And so all those things can uh, definitely tie into um, not making fat loss as difficult a task compared to resting for three minutes between sets or doing sets of one and two and three repetitions. So um, I do think that when it comes to like uh, the conditioning aspect of, of hypertrophy-based training and bodybuilding cell training, uh, you can go a long way in terms of uh, achieving or pursuing fat loss too. Um, so I will say that. Um, other than that, um, I, I'm not too sure what would blend very well together. Um, I'll say stuff like strength and power training. I can put those together as well because um, both of them kind of uh, are geared towards performance and low repetition outputs and so on. So I can definitely put that in the mix as well. I think that's a pretty straightforward answer. I've tended over the years, outside of the very high-end pursuit of strength, to, like, I suppose it also depends on where your client is. So if you've got beginners and, and relative intermediates, uh, I still think that strength and hypertrophy <clears throat> tend to go rather well together. I think that they can be pursued up to a certain point. And then at a, at, once you get up to a certain level of muscularity or strength, then you really need to specialize in one or the other. And then... I think this is sort of very similar to what you're saying as well. With people who are carrying a fairly large amount of body fat and not necessarily a lot of muscle base, you can pursue body fat loss. The amount of calories you're, you're intaking is really the key here. You can build muscle and lose body fat at the same time up to a point. You get someone who's fairly lean or fairly muscular, then all of a sudden you really have to pursue one or the other and the two just do not go hand in hand. Not just knowing what the goal is. I think that... <laughs> A lot of people, I don't know, actually I don't even know, but like having tons of goals kind of fucks things up because if you want to run a marathon, get bigger, lose fat and all these things like that's a hard task to fit in concurrently anyways in terms of structure of programming. So I think most people don't understand their goals truly or if they just want to get bigger or leaner, like then that would dictate how you do it. At the heart of this question, here's the issue. Yeah, you're getting people who are stepping into the gym who want everything. That doesn't work. That's pretty much what like, I would say a lot of people do come in initially. And then the other ones are the ones that shift focus. Uh, they're very ADD in the sense with their training. And they're always trying to shift goals. And they don't spend any real amount of time working towards one thing. They don't get very far either. Yeah. Right. Um, I, I like the point that both of you guys made uh, a little bit earlier on there that just said that um, it really is dependent on where you are in your training journey and type of whether you're a beginner or you're more intermediate and so on. When you're a beginner, um, even without trying, well, let's say you're somebody who is sedentary and you have no muscle and you have high body fat and you just start going through the compound movements that are completely foreign to you and so on. Um, you're going to build muscle. You're going to burn fat. You're going to get stronger. You're going to become more athletic. All of those things are going to get tackled. And again, until you reach that level of intermediacy or maybe even get into the advanced category, well, then, of course, you're going to have to start specializing because yeah. we're splitting hairs here. And if you're at X amount of percent body fat and you're at X amount of pounds of lean mass that you've built over all this time and so on, like then we're going to have to start getting into something a little bit more um, specific to to goals. So, you know, that's the good thing about periodizing programs or, or making a bigger, bigger picture plan in the first place. Yeah. Um, but it does take that time investment and that uh, stick to where you want to 
um, stay in one phase for a, a significant period of time before trying to chase every goal because that's not going to lead to well, uh, any kind of lasting results. And that comes with like the whole bad client, bad trainer whole dichotomy is that if you're a good trainer, you're going to have them on a structured plan. And if they're a bad client, they're not going to follow it. But if they're a good client, they're going to follow it, but they're going to realize how hard it is to actually do the things that they want to do. Because if you actually follow that structure, that 12 week phase, like gains don't come that fast once you start integrating into a system long term because then it like the the new gains cease to exist after your first two months and then their goals would probably change i, I would actually argue that point i think quote new gains and well i'm talking about sedentary but, I'll, I'll, but I'll, I'll explain this elaborate a little bit people like to use language like beginners intermediates experts in our industry and then when they think about it themselves after a couple of months oh i'm no longer a beginner you're a beginner for the first few years oh, yeah. of your lifting yeah. training uh, career. Mm-hmm. And then you might progress into an intermediate phase. Expert level stuff is, we're talking a decade plus of this. And while the exact like length of time is very arbitrary, the philosophy behind this is what matters. And people who are still beginners the first few years, um, they see greater adaptations. They can see a lot of progress. You can still build a lot of muscle mass in the first few years of your training. So don't be caught up in this idea of progressing to an advanced lifter quickly because it sucks to be an advanced lifter because you fight for inches. You fight for a pound a year. You fight for five pounds on your total a year when you get that far. But, but that's what I mean. Like it takes, <laughs> it takes those 12 week phases let's just say for like three years and you have to consistently do that to get even out of the beginner stage because most people follow a trainer let's say they have all these goals and they'll they'll quit after three months anyways and then they're back to the beginning so it's like to get out of that stage you have to like literally put the work in which we had in our last podcast with christian which is just like you have to work hard for a long time i use a good example of this so i just yesterday started with a brand new client he was referred to me by my massage therapist young um he's self-taught lifting he has a few injuries so that's kind of why she sent him to me to learn to be coached professionally so and he's asking a lot of questions about should i do 531 or should i do this or should i do that and i kind of went until i saw him in person i'm like 531 is a great program and i think it could be a good structure he's someone who seeks a bit of structure but what i spent the work of doing is sort of giving him a lot of the subtleties and the nuance of just coming into the gym learning the skill and being able to make decisions and be fluid in his training as a beginner he doesn't need a firm structure. 531 is a really great way to take intermediate advanced lifters and push them a little further. He'll benefit from it, sure. He doesn't fucking need it. So just by cutting down on his warm-up sets a bit and him having the confidence just because I was there because he'd never had that confidence before, we put, what I think his best deadlift ever was 250. He's tall. And we had him do a 286 double with great form easily just in that first time having been coached on deadlifting. And that wasn't 531 that did that. That was just... That's why I like Lee's stuff. Sorry, yeah. as, as we get back to Lee. Yeah, we got that, back That's to kind of where you focus on a lot of your stuff, though. You know what I mean? Is that shit. Yeah, um, I, I, I agree with uh, what Andrew was saying there. Um, I am not huge... Like, listen, if you're looking for me to say, like, we're the best program structure or yeah. macro cycle and meso, all that stuff, that's, I'm not really the guy for that. Um, I believe that it takes a whole lot to make a client who is especially new and beginning and whatnot um, need a full structured program like yeah. that because, again, the smallest changes and the simplest behavioral 
behavioral uh, changes will make the biggest differences early on, especially, you know, um, and I will be the first person to admit it right here on this, on this uh, podcast is that like, I have clients that I follow no program with, yeah. and I have clients who follow full programs with me, you know, both in person. So because if somebody's only times that they're going to work out with me is one or two times per week, and their only workouts of the week are the times they see me, why am I writing down a full-fledged program for that person? Yeah. You know, yeah. why am I investing that much time? This is the difference between exercise and training now, yeah. you know, and if somebody who comes to me, and that's one example I just gave was a real-life example, and another example I'll give as a real-life example is someone who comes to me who says, I'm a competitive athlete, I compete in this sport, or that sport or the other sport, and um, I'm going to work out with you two times per week, but then I'm also going to work out two more times per week in the weight room on my own, and I have practice three times a week on top of it. So one of those three workouts that I'm doing on my own or whatever is going to be in conjunction with my practice too. Yeah. Well, guess what? We need to follow a structure and we need to adhere to it. You know, these are the things that are going to affect the performance. There's a bigger goal at the end of the day. This is, this is important, you know? So it really depends. And I'm not saying that somebody who's not an athlete can't have that kind of mentality too. Yeah. You know, if somebody says, I want to work out with you twice per week, or I want to work out with you once per week, or once every two weeks, but I'm going to keep on myself to do my workouts three times per week, every week on my own at the gym, as long as you can give me clearance for what exercises work and so on. Well, hey, now we're talking. Follow this structure, please. So, um, yeah, I, I really think that it is sort of case by case, and I would prefer if everybody was in that second example that I gave. Mm -hmm. um, but the reality is that a lot of people don't necessarily have uh, quite the discipline for that or the uh, the attention. There's only so much that we can do to to yeah. help encourage them to stay consistent with everything. Cool. And, um, you know, I, I try to sort of influence people to adopt that kind of thinking towards their clients because it can really eliminate a lot of uh, stress or unnecessary stress or pressure <laughs> that they might feel as coaches um, when they really, they're not responsible for as much as they think. And um, again, like it goes back to, you know, be a good client, be a bad client. It's a two way street here. And the amount of return you're going to get depends on the amount you invest into it. Uh, not just from a, not from a financial perspective, but from a perspective of uh, your, your effort. I do it exactly the same way you do it. It varies across the board exactly as you describe. And I'll make an additional point, too, as a trainer. This is not a way to, quote, do less work. We want to do a lot of stuff with our careers, work with a lot of people. There are some people, if you're putting a lot of effort into programming, and then they show up and they're like, well, oh, I don't feel that great today. And this is a consistent thing, or their their job is stressful. Then you can put a ton of work into programming and planning perfect shit, and there are going to be some clients that you just realize are never going to go according to plan. And being able to structure things well, as it goes with that person is a really valuable skill. And I'm not saying, hey, wing everything. That's bullshit. But the ability to go, okay, I don't, that piece of equipment that I plan for isn't available. Shit, now what do that's I do? That's solving one of one. You need to be able to go, okay, well, I can replicate <laughs> this by going and doing this instead. So right. I think you, as a trainer, can create a lot of extra work for yourself that is unnecessary if you don't realize which kind of client needs which kind of approach. Yeah, I agree with that too. And, uh, you know, I work in, I work and rent space out of a gym that involves other, includes other trainers and others, um, members and stuff like that. And so, you know, there are times when there are more people in there than, than other times. And so you don't have access or monopoly over all the equipment at every given time. You know, um, it depends on what time of day it is and, uh, because of that, you have to think on the fly sometimes. And if you've got somebody and they've got like an hour with you and so on, then, you know, you can't really wait around. You've got to start uh, 
making a little bit of an educated freestyle to your workout. And that's what you got to do. And it's just the nature of the business. And, you know, if people are expecting something to be different or if people are expecting uh, the client to feel 100% all the time, um, you know, I work with 70% of my clients. I'd say about 70%, maybe 60% of my clients are, are, are what the New York equivalent of Wall Street is down here, the yeah. Bay Street client, right? And so the Bay Street clientele, you know, 35 plus business exec, white collar job, high earning income. Uh, and at the same time, they have high stress jobs and they have families and they've got uh, lots of responsibilities and they don't get as much sleep as they probably should. And they have to do client dinners and all, all these different outings and so on. So they're not eating perfectly all the time. You know, this is the reality of what their life is. And now this is the training side of things fitting into all of that, because most of it is probably not going to change, at least not overnight. And um, it's not like they're about to quit their jobs anytime soon either. And so because of that, how are we managing that? And what what is the odds that somebody like that is going to say, hey, listen, I'm on no sleep tonight because we had this file that we had to turn over and we're, we're working. We were working all the way up until three o'clock in the morning or something like that. You know, so that happens. And um, because of that, you know, it makes me have to say, OK, well, we're going to go right into deadlifts. No, I'm not going to say <laughs> that. We're not going into your heavy doubles today. We're going to do something completely different that I didn't even plan for because of the fact that it's going to make sure that your rates of perceived exertion are where they need to be and, and that, that you're going to sort of feel better and not worse from your training session. I'm going to throw something out there, too, for, for trainers who are hearing, oh, Bay Street, lots of money, whatever. I've got a number of these guys that I work with currently and some in the past. That demographic is actually one of the toughest demographics to work with. They're a demographic, especially if it's a personality that oh, a fire comes up and they feel like they're the one who has to put it out. Scheduling them can be a real nightmare. Their, their attendance can be really, really tough. Again, di different people are different, but that particular demographic is actually quite challenging. So the money sounds good, but you're going to be working on those relationships and getting those people to prioritize themselves. That's going to be a tough one. Oh, 100%. And, you know, we <laughs> haven't even gotten into the personality stuff with regards to it. You know, like uh, one thing is making sure that they're, you know, on point as far as like attendance and all that stuff goes and, um, you know, the stress levels and all that and putting out fires. All that stuff is completely valid. But on top of that, when you add in a, a personality that's very, very... Uh, conducive to a success in that world might not necessarily be conducive to a great personal trainer and client relationship, if that makes sense. Yeah. So not saying that it doesn't exist or anything like that, but you will deal with much stronger personalities, super duper type A personalities, people who might have a couple of control issues here and there. Mm -hmm. You know, there's going to be a lot of that that goes on when you're dealing with those one percenters of the types of people who have achieved a lot of real financial success over the course of their lives and uh, who are used to running things at work. And then all of a sudden they're in the gym and they're paying a trainer who might even be much younger than them like I am. And, you know, it's, it's a little bit of a shift for them. So um, it's, it is, it can lead to a lot of uh, difficult uh, personality traits or different uh, things that you have to work with or so work against. They got to know what to call it. And um, yeah, it's, 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 it's a lot of work. It's a lot of work and you've really got to be on your A game. I've, I've got a number of stories where that's all concerned. I think um, we're going to pivot to taking our clothes off. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Andrew likes to write his question. So he, he, before I say this, I work out without a shirt sometimes. I also own a private gym and I work out by myself. So fuck off. You love it's being a, on Instagram with your shirt. Yeah, but I don't put it on. My, it's on like my story. So I just happen to have my shirt off. But it's not like I'm taking my shirt off, take a selfie, post it on my wall. 
to my story. He, he, can, get, he can get away with it. Like, because I'm legitimately work. It's like literally it, to put a shirt on would be more effort. You know what I mean? So like that's just me. Raising your hands over your head to put a shirt on is probably too hard <laughs> for you. Well, man, I'm sweaty. It, but it's like my intention. I'm one of the few that my intention isn't to like show I'm Jack. So I could literally give two shits. I do, however, position the camera so you can see my tattoos. But that's, that, I think everyone with tattoos like a big sleeve. Like I paid a lot of money for that. You're gonna fucking see it on Instagram. <laughs> uh, but um, in a recent article, though, you tell trainers to wear clothes mostly in the context of their social media presence. Would you elaborate and kind of just kind of I want to hear your your rant on this because it's it's always really good to hear a Lee rant. um well okay why i wrote that article was because i just saw too many examples like look i i had just gotten instagram again like inside the last year and so (laughs) i thought that i was already um sort of like aware of just how much of this there was through the typical influencers page on facebook and on twitter and those are the only other two uh, forms of social media that i've got but uh, obviously on Instagram, it's just that much more. It's the yeah. nth degree where there's so many people with, um, you know, naked selfies and motivation and all this like stuff that has no juxtaposition. Like you, you put a naked selfie and then you talk about like personal confidence or, or you know, like ha- happy Monday and all that sort of stuff. And it doesn't make any sense why it's even next. It's even captioning this. Um, so anyway, like um, the, the, the whole point that I was saying is that like you've got you have a following or you have a uh, uh, an audience because I don't like the word following or followers, but uh, you have an audience of people that view your content on the regular and you don't know what kind of influence you're having over these people. You don't know whether they're following your content just because of the fact that you put up the, the, the nearly nude photos and all that sort of thing. And at the same time, we forget that our occupation is being a trainer like it i don't think one has much to do with the other and the funny part about all this stuff is that like especially with what's sort of more trendy in the world today as far as um different you know social justice warriors for lack of a better term go uh we talk about things where you know size and shape shouldn't matter uh your body should positive spins on your body and your your levels of confidence and this shouldn't be linked to that and if you look good you should you feel good that it doesn't matter how you look and so on and so on and so on but somehow we've sort of extrapolated that idea into thinking that now people of any shape and size should be taking off their clothes instead of people of any shape and size respecting themselves in a different way where the clothing part of it is irrelevant and so you can wear whatever while you're training while you're instructing while you're giving advice while you're just existing and it's it's no more it's no longer a factor as to how naked i need to get in order to mm-hmm. attract clients or attract people and so on you know if there was consistency within the culture about the way that we should think towards um self empowerment or uh being uh having higher self esteem and and respecting what the body should really be viewed as and so on then um, we would see much less of the naked selfies and much less of these uh, these kinds of posts, I think. And in many ways, it might be misrepresenting what our industry should be all about. And in many ways, I think that it's um, it's not really giving it a good look. Well, and we actually had this discussion with, with Christian Thibodeau, which will be next week. But he said, you can be good with zero competency. And I think, <laughs> but, but like there, there's a bigger message there is that 
it's just about attention. So you can be good and make money and, and influence people and get fucking online training clients by taking off your clothes. It's just, if you're doing that, know that it's not the same as having competency. So like all that shit doesn't matter when you're just trying to be a good coach. And there is something to be learned there. I think the silver lining is learning how to market yourself a little bit better might equal more success. But I just don't want to go down. I, I think that going down that road is a slippery slope and you may end up in a spot where you're now not doing a career in fitness in the way that you thought you were, which is totally fine. It's just like understand that you might end up on a spot where you're taking your clothes off and you're trying to adjust I, your bra or shorts or your shirt angles or I saw one on nipple symmetry. Like like it gets fucking down that rabbit hole. And like that's do you really want to do that for a living? Like honestly. Well, I, I made a tweet on Twitter at one point, like a, maybe a couple of months ago or whatever, and I can't remember exactly how I worded it, but I wrote something to the the tune of, um, you know, if you're contemplating starting to take off your clothes for more followers or for more traction on your social media and so on, before thinking about how many followers you'll gain from doing it, think about someone who already, oh, now it's longer than a tweet, but yeah. you get the idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> think about... <laughs> Think about somebody who's built their career over doing that already. Some kind of fitness expert who's yeah. built their career over doing that sort of thing already, and they're they're the naked expert and so on. And think about instead of how many falls you'll gain if you do, think about how many followers they would lose if they stopped. Yeah. And so when you think about it that way, and you oh, think about just the fact that there would be so many people who are now paying attention to your work, not because of your work, but more so just because of the visuals. Uh, that discourages me from even ever wanting to go down that path because now it's no longer about the fitness expertise whatsoever and the pressure's on you to be talking lifestyle stuff and to be taking more and more of these nudes. Yeah. Imagine, the like, I'm sure that everybody can think of someone out there who does the naked stuff all the time. Mm -hmm. So imagine that person, whoever it is, took the next six weeks to post none of that stuff and just to post only like good quality information that's its purest form, just the info. And just, you know, fully clothed photos all the time. No no selfies, none of that stuff. They just got straight info. Looks like it looks like Andrew Coates' page. Yeah. Or like or like Lee Boyce's page for six six straight weeks. I wonder what the engagement would be like compared to the selfie that has everything hanging out that gets thousands of likes and thousands of comments. And do you really want just to tell, that? tells you the quality of your audience right there, it would. Well, and, and like, I guess it, it comes to discussion is how important is money. And I think that once you get to a certain point, fulfillment's not going to come from that. Like, like you said, you'll be stuck doing that. And do you really want to be stuck with your whole pillar of success and your meaning of life by how well you take a picture with lighting and stuff like that's stressful. And like, right. I guess you have to get to that point where you understand that. And I think that anyone who's gone down that road realizes it's it, the return on investments. It's like, it's like a lottery, like that your Instagram is going to blow up. So do you really want to take that risk of like selling your soul to fucking plus followers? Plus there's this, and this is a bad, uh, vicious cycle to get on because we already deal with the social media in the first place. If you're in this constant cycle of posting things for the likes, for the validation, the dopamine hits, that is a nasty, vicious cycle to be caught up in. So that's a place that I really try not to go. I think it's one thing to be aware of the metrics to see how well your posts are performing. But it's an entirely different thing if you are constantly checking your social media for notifications. When it's dependent on the platform, like you're a good example because you got it nine months ago, 
but your following or whatever you want to call it was dictated. And I think we talked about this based on what you did in your website and your blogs and your writing, which I'm not going to say is a better following, but like in terms of reliability and like even conversion rates and all that shit, it's, 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 way, following it's way better. And I, I think that, I don't know, it's, it's not, I guess it's a millennial argument. I don't know. I don't even know what I'm arguing. I think that you'll just be happier if you're more like Lee, where you get into Instagram because you're like, everyone's telling you you should, not because you have a deep, like rooted, I want to take my clothes off and show everyone my gains. Here's the top right. part of the message is, you know, for anyone who is early in their career, Instagram and this approach creates a very tempting shortcut. It is not like someone can just go, okay, well, I'm going to do this differently and then easily build a following too. Your following is predicated on how long you've been around the industry, uh, speaking engagements and content creation, writing, and then someone finds you and just decides, hey, this guy's really, really smart, I'm going to follow. You know, you don't have 750,000 followers on your Instagram. And in fact, I don't think I know anyone in our corner of the, uh, of the industry. Brett Contreras has got about, what? he's got somewhere over 500,000. He's kind of the yeah. one who's a little ahead of everybody else. And again, I suppose inadvertently, a lot again, of his stuff is a lot of beautiful women in their butts, but he's also pumping up crazy amounts of really good content and information. So I understand the appeal and I, and I'm very careful not to malign the people who do it because I kind of understand why. And I think we get caught up in this little negative place where we're, we're shitting on people who do this and we're not doing anything positive about it. Instead, take the lessons from it, but... I'll come back to this. Any trainer who's still starting out, I think it is worth investing in consistently putting out good information to build that audience organically. And it's good to see someone like you, Lee, who, yeah, you put in your dues, you, you paid your, you put in the time, and you have been able to build a really, really solid following that way. I'm hoping that other trainers will take from that example and invest the time and the effort and just not be tempted by the shortcuts. At the same time, learn the medium that is Instagram. Be entertaining because entertaining goes a long, long way. And hopefully, you'll build. You two are good examples because Andrew's like learning Instagram on the go too. <laughs> so are you. But it's it, but again, I don't think it's necessary. You know? Yeah. Um. I, again, like I, I always think about well, what happens if by some kind of stroke, all of a sudden. Yeah. There's no more Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and all that stuff, you know. And you know, I'm not saying like it could happen. You yeah, know, there's there there's a lot of arguments against why social media, how social media has really destroyed communication and destroyed this and that and so on, and you know, and some valid arguments in it as well. Now, um, I'm sure that if all of it came down, well, let's say Instagram went down, so someone with a million followers all of a sudden just disappeared. That's it. They have nowhere to put their content. Until something new pops up and then you have to sort of build from scratch again. Like, how much of a hit would you be taking if your business was entirely tied up in just that stuff alone? It would be a real significant one and it would show exactly what the strength of those, uh, those, uh, the, those members of your audience are. Or like, what, what levels of engagement they really have to your actual content versus whether or not it just served as fodder for them to get their day by. And, you know, when you're being the, the, constantly posting nearly naked social media kind of influencer like that, you know, you have to remember that you're not really, you're actually not having a, a what's the word I'm looking for? Like a ripple effect of actual influence there. Because as soon as you disappear or you close off your account, there's still 10 million more people who yeah. are doing the same thing right now. So it's not like you're bringing anything new or unique to the game. 
And uh, if you're going to use that under the guise of being a social, sorry, under the guise of being a fitness expert, well, then you're sort of leading yourself down the wrong path where it'll be a short term gain of, of followers. But at the end of the day, no one's going to even remember or recognize your stuff. I'll, I'll use an example. And if anyone listening or if you guys have ever had this happen where someone that you follow on Instagram pops back up and you realize, wow, I didn't even realize they were gone. Some or like a Facebook friend goes, oh, I'm back from 30 days of a break from social media. And you're like, I didn't even notice you're gone. That says, yeah. speaks to what you're saying is people won't notice because there's so much else out there. So this whole topic, um, on my birthday, March 13th, Facebook and Instagram went down for the whole day. I remember this because all of a sudden, all those <laughs> like, Facebook notifications, happy birthday, all kind of went away. And it was just a giant shit show and it was gone for most days. So I actually wrote an article on my website about it. And your point about, you sort of hinted at the fact, oh, it sounds ridiculous that Instagram could go away. No, it really could for a lot of reasons. It might still be there, but your account with 20,000 followers could be banned for any number of reasons. You say the wrong thing. You make a political, ideological like statement. Right now, we're seeing a big thing going on with social media where, uh, yeah, people say the wrong thing politically c compared to what is the popular discourse and accounts are being shuttered. Uh, people are being deplatformed. That's a real thing. Um, and there's any number of other ways that people can get real or shadow bans from platforms like Instagram. There's a thing, this is a really kind of weird one. So there's a lot of women on Instagram who, I mean, it's softcore porn basically, and they're putting up just scantily clad photos and they're not even necessarily in the fitness industry. So some of these women get targeted by these incel types and they do a massive report on their account at one shot. And Instagram is run off algorithm on reports, not by humans making decisions. So a number of these women have lost their accounts and they're not getting them recovered due to just a bunch of losers going, that bothers me that I can't get laid. And there's a woman who is attractive. Is this real? Absolutely real. This, 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 I mean, like, that's like, even the fact that we're talking about this is like, so what the fuck? But the point is, <laughs> and I've got a very good friend who's got a half a million followers. She's barely got any clothes on, on her social media. She's a really sweet girl. And she's like having a really successful modeling career. And hers could be gone like that. Do you want to worry about like, and that's kind of what this comes down to is like, you're a trainer, like whatever. Like, let's just say you want to be in the industry, blah, 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 blah. Do you really want to deal with that fucking shit? Like, like honestly, of course not. No. And like, that's what, I don't know. It's, we're probably like beating a dead horse at this point, but like, I don't know. I, I think it's funny. I don't think it's funny at the same time. It's fun to talk about it, but like, this is a real thing. Like your life is dictated by well, this shit. The, the point I really want to make sure we understand here is, is that as much as we want to think that your Facebook account, your Instagram account is like having an email address or a phone number, these are still private companies. As much as they act like utilities, you're not entitled to access to those things. And for a lot of reasons, some fair, some not fair, you go and say like a bunch of really stupid racist shit, guess what? You deserve to get kicked off. But the uh, the definition of what is quote racist is kind of concept creep to the point where there's a really slight scale. This is the best. Out. We were like trying to get Lee to rant and we basically just ranted. Lee's just like, what the hell? <laughs> Like, I think you know what I, I think it, on my microwave popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, so anyway, but you get the idea of what I'm saying is, so yeah, so you can say something that, you know, like you think is pretty innocuous, but it offends someone else. And next thing you know, you're, you're no longer on your platform. And there's a lot of other ways you can do it. Use the wrong fucking hashtag. I think the hashtag push-ups 
Because I feel like it was Chris Sugar on his Twitter just pointed out there's a whole bunch of band, and I knew there's band hashtags. Um, yeah, there's a whole bunch of very innocent words that are actually shadow banned, and if you put a hashtag in one of your posts, you can end up with a shadow ban. My life has been so much better since I don't post on Instagram. I just do <laughs> stories now because it's fun. <laughs> Because, like, there's so yeah, like, I, yeah. I don't even know, like, the, the ins and outs of how, like, what to do or how to go about it. I just make a post and then put the same, some kind of teaser to that post on my story, and that's basically See, it. I don't know if I'm doing the wrong thing or not, but, but I think that I there's something refreshing about there's something refreshing about that, though. It's just like, like, it doesn't matter at the end of the day. Like, a lot of these people aren't making the kind of money you think that they're making. Like, we, we've talked to some people in the backgrounds, it's like everyone thinks they have. 500,000 followers and they're fucking loaded and like that's not the no case way. for a lot of these people like a lot no of them are broke you think that you think that Instagram or whoever is gonna just pay out all that kind no. of money to all those people who have followers mm-hmm. what if you got what if you get a spend spend 10 grand yourself to get a million robots to follow you <laughs> and then and how would, would Instagram even know and then you just get paid out that way like, so, there's no way. What about athletes who already have tens of millions of followers in the first place? Think they're getting to get paid extra from Instagram? Well, no. Instagram doesn't pay shit. Not. It's not like YouTube. Like, YouTube, yes, clicks and, and video watches, whatever. Instagram, I don't think, pays shit. It's sponsors and other people coming in for collaborations. That's where those people's money is. They can make a lot of money. Uh, our friend Michael Dietrich, who's been on the podcast a couple times. Mike actually makes a lot of money on the side doing this mountain bike stuff. But on the sponsorship side. On the sponsorship side. But he also makes money as a trainer. So like you can make six figures as a trainer and invest literally half the time you put into social media. And social media is like you're rolling the dice hoping people actually think you're I'm just, I'm just waiting for Dean Somerset to go get a an apparel sponsorship that pays him six figures. So he's wearing like some sort of I don't know Fucking the, the new Under Armour that comes along. He's like the flagship model for We know Lee's not going to do it because Lee's just posting a post and doesn't actually look at it. <laughs> okay, let's 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 let, let's get off this because I, I think that there's some merit in the next one, which I really want to hear is... Oh, yeah, okay, so uh, we're running a short out of time, but we'll try to make sure we include this. Uh, you're actually still a pretty young guy. Lee, I think you're still 32, right? You haven't... You're only 32? Yeah. yeah. yeah so, 32. But you've actually been around the industry for a long, long, long time. Uh, so did you make... Did you make mistakes in your earliest days as a trainer? I mean, I think every trainer does. And what would you say to trainers now, kind of in their early 20s, without a lot of that varied life experience that comes with being fucking older, uh, to navigate their early days as trainers? Um, so, for first question, yes, I did make mistakes. Um, <laughs> I wasn't like a, I wasn't like any sort of great trainer. I thought I was, but I wasn't at all. And, um, you know, I think that it's it's a matter of, you know, you know what? I meet a lot of people who early on in their careers and so on who act like I don't know if it's like a I don't know if it's a insecurity thing. It probably was for me when I was doing this sort of thing, but uh, for a lot of people, it might be the same. Um, you act like you know a lot more than you do, and you're afraid to say that you know I need help or that I need to learn or that you know I didn't know that before. Thank you for telling me that sort of thing. You know where just the education side of things or where where when you're in a group with other more experienced trainers and you're the oddball out, you're not ready to just soak it all in and just be quiet and learn, you know? And, and to me, I think that that's sort of like the most important part of being a younger trainer is just for lack of a better term and a less condescending one, just know your place in the industry for where it is, where you're at right now. Um, that's, that's super important. And, um, you know, recognize that, 
you might want to train, you know, football players or something like that. But any football player worth his salt or any football strength conditioning coach worth his salt isn't going to see a 21-year-old coach who's got three months experience and say, yeah, I'm going to give you this pro athlete to work with. Like, it's not how it goes. And, you know, it, and I'm not even using – I use football players for example of just strength and conditioning work for a specific sport athlete. But, you know, we should really be focused on being as good of a generalist as you can, as we can be and just learning as much as we can from uh, the experience that we gain working with as many people as possible. I think that the most important thing for me uh, in terms of making me better was not only studying the stuff but then applying it through working in the field, doing the stuff with the clients, put what you learned into practice. And, you know, that was step number one for me is that read, apply, read, apply it. But then step number two was also hire a coach, you know, hire a coach for your own self so that you can learn firsthand, whether it's by way of some kind of a mentorship or whether it's by way of actually them training you personally, which is what I did um, more than once, as a matter of fact, even up until right now, if you want me to be completely honest. Just have that experience with learning, you know, other philosophies, number one, uh, develop, helping build your own philosophy, number two. Number three, actually, like, experiencing what the work should feel like that you're trying to uh, get people to do. Um, you know, it just, it goes a very, very, very long way in terms of how much better of a well-rounded coach you're going to be. And on top of it, you know, returning to that sort of thing as you get older will help you get more perspective on a lot of different things. And, you know, I, I think about the way that I trained when I was trying to add size when I was 21 and 22 and 20 even, and it's very different than I would approach it now, not because it's worse because my work capacity is nowhere near the same. Yeah. That's why, you know, I'm a different guy. I'm a much older than I was back then. And I don't have, and I have more responsibilities and I have <laughs> more stresses in life and I get less sleep than I used to. And, you know, I, I, I've been more injured now and all that sort of stuff. And so the way that I approach my training for exactly the same goals is very, very different. And so recognizing that and sort of uh, accommodating that in your own training um, and, and with training your clients, depending on who you've got, um, it's, it can go a long way and then making sure that you're meeting each individual client's needs. It comes from just experience, putting your head down, putting your uh, time in the trenches and uh, and being willing to learn from the right sources as well and uh, staying in your lane, sticking with what you know when you know it and, and leaving it at that. This is why I've uh, followed your writing for a very, very long time. It's been influential on how I've approached my career. So, <clears throat> uh, you know, again, and I, and I like to say stuff like this a lot, uh, and it sounds like I say it about most of our guests, but for, if you're listening, especially if you're a, a trainer who's coming up to the industry, go in and subscribe to Lee's uh, um, email list. Uh, make sure you're following him because the articles that he's writing, they're not the same routine recycled stuff. You know, here's uh, here's how to do a squat, right? And like, sure, it's good to actually be able to teach a goddamn squat. You should be at, at day two out of the academy, so to speak. But there's a lot of really good philosophical stuff about how you may want to approach your career and how you'll be better just with your clients. So I can't stress that enough because it's 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 been really good for me personally. Especially if you don't want to take your clothes off. Like, I mean, you have to resort to that. Like, I don't think, I was just looking at your Instagram during this and I was, good job, by the way. A, your clothes are off and B, you're at like 12,000 followers and you don't even, he's got the you don't even now. know how to use hashtags. Like, what? Nice, nice. <laughs> what's wrong with my hashtag? I don't even know. You just, you were like, I didn't know there's bad hat. You don't have hashtags. 
There's a way not to get shot. Literally, out. don't have hashtags. This is the best. I don't think you fucking need them actually. So, no, he like literally doesn't have them. That's the best. So, you're you know, I, I always send these scripts off uh, questions to people you know, beforehand, right? So you said you haven't read anything since the last time we chatted. So if if you've got anything, you're like, hey, no, this is a great book I read when I was 25. Throw it at us. Otherwise, we're going to tell people where to find you. Yeah, um, so some books that I really like, um, I like most of stuff that uh, Mark Ripto puts out as far as uh, just fundamentals of basic strength training principles. Um, he'll do great for the uh, squat, dead, overhead press, all that stuff, bench press. Um, just he's, he's influenced a lot of the way that I like to teach the, uh, the, the big lifts myself. So uh, starting strength, any of those series books, uh, that's great. Um, and as far as um, Eric Cressy's Assess and Correct is a great book as well. I really like that book. Um, it was great for mobility drills and different things and uh, sort of uh, ailments or inju- injuries or issues and so on. Um, it's just a good uh, it's a good book, too. So those two are the first that come to mind that I'll be very quick to recommend to uh, to anybody who's asking for uh, the good starting points or good places to, to learn a whole lot. And, um, yeah, you know, other than that, you know, I, I definitely like going through the archives of T Nation every now and then as well, not only because – uh, to brush up on some of the stuff that I wrote about in the past, but most uh, most frequently to look at uh, older content that maybe there are certain uh, coaches and so on who no longer write for T Nation or who haven't been around for a long time or whatever, but T Nation goes back to 98, right? So we're yeah. 21 years deep. There's a lot of stuff in the archives that people uh, people might have forgotten about that is just as useful now as it was back then. So um, I love going through just some, some older content for uh, to refresh some old ideas or to get completely new ideas and um you know just get to get my stuff out uh, get my stuff uh sort of sharpened up by way of uh, brushing up on that stuff at least you didn't say a subtle part of not giving a fuck good job right. <laughs> i never read that book don't <laughs> his new one's actually really good he's actually a really good storyteller his first book is just complete garbage the second one i'm on record mark manson how is it Everything is fucked because, of course, I hate books that generally have swearing in the titles. I think it's lazy shit, but it's actually a pretty good book, and it's a bit of fun. So it's good entry-level reading for people. Okay, where does everyone find you? Uh, So (laughs) now I'm at Coach Lee Boyce across the board. Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. So I don't have to have some kind of crazy dot fifty two point slash whatever. It's none of that anymore. Just at Coach Lee Boyce and find me everywhere there. And um, yeah, I've been uh, posting most frequently on Instagram, but I put all my stuff on everything, to be honest with you. And we've got one more place where people could find you in September 14th, 15th, coming here to Edmonton, Alberta, as part of, as we mentioned at the beginning, the Evolve Canadian Strength Symposium, which, you know, us, Dean Somerset, um, Evolve, and our friend Hannah Gray, who is a presenter as well, we've all partnered together to pull together what we're hoping will become a really big, obviously Alberta, but even Canadian event. We just had Christian Thibodeau on the podcast, which you'll actually hear next week. We'll release it after. And Christian had expressed interest in being included if he was available. That's a that's a very mild possibility. So we're not going to promise that, but we have been talking to Christian. We're going to try to lock him down for next year's version. And we're we're excited. We want this not just to be speakers up uh, and and learn from it. That's a big part but to actually get to interact with the speakers to meet the other attendees who are people who are probably in a similar place to you are in your career. Going to these events has changed my career. Opened every door that I've had for the last like two and a half, three years. It's how I know you and, and so many other people in the industry now. 
and it's done wonderful things for me. So I kind of hope we can bring that to our doorstep here in Edmonton, encourage more Canadian people to come and attend. We've got one of our guests uh, in the past, Alberto Alvarez, is a friend of ours. He's coming in from Spain. If Alberto can fly from Spain, someone in Calgary can make the fucking two and a half hour plus, drive. Plus, I hear I hear Lee's a pretty animated presenter. I hear you're pretty good. Very poised. Uh, very, very I, good. I, I, I'm, I'm hoping that I live up to that uh, <laughs> that positive feedback. No, I, I, you know what it was? I can't remember. Someone posted a live during the Kansas City. I was like, not that I didn't expect that because I've seen your videos, but like you were into it. Like, like you brought a lot of energy, which is nice. Like it wasn't like... It wasn't boring. I guess that's that's a good compliment, but it, like, it, it was like, holy shit, Lee's was, like going it, hard on this. There was a lot of good like this. Uh, Brett Contreras approaches his with, with just childlike energy and excitement and enthusiasm, too. And then we just, had, You're going to get a lot out of it. Yeah, and we had, that's just kind we of... Had Lisa Lewis just knocked the place just on its heels with a really cool presentation on a lot of the psychological stuff that we... we deal with in our industry, but there's not necessarily a lot of people who have the credentials to probably tackle it. And so we probably pulled her out of the podcast immediately just because she was super, it was a really good weekend and a lot of fun. And, and we're hoping that we can create something similar, if not even better. And so if you're a trainer or someone in our general area who is thinking about it, seriously, shoot us a message, talk to us about it. And uh, we want to make this a really world-class event. And if we do a killer job year one, we'll do it year two onward. Lee, thanks for being here, buddy. We really appreciate it. And Thanks a uh, lot. It, we will see you in September for sure. And you're always, 100%. you're always welcome back anytime you like on the podcast, of course, guys. Thanks for tuning in. Yeah, see you guys. Shut up and sit down.